Welcome to Ritual of Practice Podcast. I am your host, Angela Houghton. The intention of this podcast is to inspire your practice. I thought it would be fun to offer stories of how different people integrate practice in their lives. I am so appreciative of the humans that share their experience on this podcast and to you, listener, for joining us. May you show up for what lights you up. Hello, thank you for listening to the Ritual of Practice podcast. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Lee Clausen. I had the honor to have a conversation with her about her yoga practice. And part of her practice includes teaching. And she is a longtime practitioner. And it was really fun to hear her journey with her yoga practice and the evolution and just really a lot of creativity and how she has fit the practice into her life. Uh, I do encourage you to listen to the whole episode because at the end, I think that the way that she includes mindfulness in her life experience is really fun. So thank you so much for listening to the Ritual of Practice podcast. Welcome, Lee, to the show today. Uh, I have Lee Clausen here on the Ritual of Practice podcast, and we are here to talk today about Lee's uh, yoga practice. So thank you so much. I'm for so being excited here. to be here. Thank you for having me, Angela. Yeah, I'm. it's really, yeah, just a gift at any time someone is willing to come on the show and share, yeah, the, the details of their practice. I feel like it's a great service to our listeners. So my first question is, what initially sparked your interest in yoga? So my original journey to yoga is sort of an odd one, I guess. I don't know if there is a really traditional route, but I found my first yoga class in community college. I needed a couple random credits in order to transfer to a university system class or to a university system um, school. And I was just looking for like a couple random credits. And I took a Hatha yoga class at um, Irvine Valley College. And it was a magical time. I, um, I feel kind of bad for the instructor in hindsight, because I was so stressed at that particular moment in my life, that I would often fall asleep during Shavasana. And the poor teacher would have to come wake me like shake me and say, Hey, everybody else is gone. Uh, she'd like go through her whole setup and you know, like, clean up after herself. And then when it was time for her to turn the lights off and lock the door, she'd kick me out. And it was just that sense of like respite and rest that I had zero expectations of when I walked into this class and it really struck a chord with me. So that was where I got my start was actually a community college. And when you said Irvine, so I'm making an assumption that that Southern California, is that accurate or that's correct. Yeah. UC Irvine was where I did my undergraduate work and um, the Irvine Valley um, Community College was where I started out because I, I actually started um, school at 16. I tested at a high school and started my college career a little early. So, And what were you studying? Um, at that moment, I was getting all of my undergraduate kind of prerequisites out of the way, but I ultimately went on to get my undergraduate degree in social ecology, looking at how humans and their environment influence each other, which has been a fascination of mine throughout my life. And then I did a minor in classical civilizations. 
Wonderful. <laughs> but look, I'd love to talk to you more about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you, was this, a, did you get credit for this that then applied to, you know, like, was it like a physical education credit of sorts that um, yeah, I mean, it, it essentially filled in like a physical education credit. The funny thing was that I didn't really need any specific type of credits. I was just a couple of like credit points shy. And so when I was looking at the course offerings, um, yoga just kind of jumped out as something that wouldn't add to like the mental workload since I had so many balls, you know, rolling at that moment. Um, but something that I had been interested in doing, I was a dancer in, on, in high school. And so I had a pretty good proprioceptive awareness of my body. Um, but my relationship with movement and all of that was really goal driven up until that point. And that class was just so exciting to me because it was the first opportunity to really just explore how does my body move for the sake of how it feels or how it, you know, internally changes things as opposed to some sort of external goal or purpose, which was really neat. Where in dance you felt there was a purpose that you, you had a goal in mind. Yeah, I mean, the, there was always the mirror in front of you, right? And you were always trying to make a movement look a certain way on the outside. And the yoga class was really the first time that I walked into a movement space where there weren't mirrors. It was just an open room with some props. And the goal was to see how things felt. So that was really neat and a totally different way of approaching movement. And I really resonated with that. Well, what a blessing, Lee, that you were put in that environment because sometimes there are mirrors in yoga classes. And so sometimes um, I would, I have had many students expect and find some disappointment in not having a mirror in the yoga practice. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I have taken some classes where there have been mirrors in the room, especially in studios around the LA area. But um, I think that particular teacher, and I, I say this always about community colleges, is they're they're just bringing something different to the table than I think other types of learning environments are. And that particular teacher built her class as a Hatha class. It was really not meant to be um, performative or fast paced or, you know, there was it was really just an opportunity for sort of self-exploration. And so I, I couldn't tell you the name of the teacher or anything about her, except that she really made an impression on me in terms of my understanding of what a movement practice could look like. Sounds like set a foundation because now, I mean, obviously we haven't um, stayed close over the years. I feel like it's been quite some time since we've, um, yeah, spent any time together. And I, yeah, but I have this, you know, understanding <laughs> from the, how we're all connected in the world today via social media that you are now teaching and sharing this practice with others. Uh, do you want yes. to, I think it'd be fun for the listener to, so what happened after the community college? So this teacher that you don't remember the name of, but she set such a foundation for you um, in your practice. Then what happened after that when you left the yeah. community? So um, I transferred to UC Irvine and took some classes at a studio called Yoga Shakti, which is in Irvine, California. And um, I had 
some funny trials and tribulations in my first year or so as a student. I remember um, I was dealing with a physical condition that I'm not, not a lot of people know about called hyperhidrosis, which is like a nerve condition where you actually end up sweating um, more profusely from certain like nerve ending sites. So my hands throughout my younger years were always super sweaty and trying to be on those old school sticky mats and sliding around. I dealt with a lot of frustration and angst in some of those classes. So not every class from that particular moment of my practice practice experiences as enjoyable in retrospect. Um, I learned the value of a good quality mat for myself. Um, but then from there, after I graduated, I went on to get a master's degree in Vermont. And so I took some classes there that were more just like locally offered by some of the fellow students at the law school that I was at. Um, and then I moved to DC and started my first big girl job, as I like to call it, um, working at the Pinchot Institute there, took a bunch of classes at a bunch of different studios around the DC area and was just kind of studio hopping. And then um, I actually abandoned that big girl job because even though the organization I was working for was wonderful, I did not belong behind a desk with a suit and a commute and a 401k. And so I ran screaming back to California where I took a job as a hiking guide in Yosemite and found, again, just kind of a collective of people who were doing yoga. It wasn't offered in a specific studio. And for about the next six or seven years, that was what my practice often looked like. I would take studio classes if I was somewhere where a studio was available. But a lot of times it was either just like a couple of folks getting together and sharing what we knew, or lots of um, online videos and podcasts as those started to become a little bit more available. Um, this was, gosh, from like 2006 through to about 2005, or I should say 2006 to about 2015. Um, and then in 2015, I had been settled here in the Flathead Valley. I'd been moving around with the National Park Service for a couple years, working different jobs all over, which is how we met. I practiced at Moab Yoga with you when I was working at Arches National Park and with Courtney Miller and a couple of the lovely humans that worked at your studio space. And so it was just this fun collection of years where I was sort of hodgepodging together these lovely little communities at different studios in the various places that I worked. And a lot of the time, really just doing my own thing with podcasts and videos and having to sort of embody my practice from that place of like not having a really regular teacher or mentor because I was so mobile. And by 2015, I had settled up here in the Flathead Valley in Montana and started really considering a teacher training. And at the time, I was interested in teaching. Um, I had found through working for the National Parks that I love teaching people about nature. And I really have always enjoyed sharing um, practices with folks. And it was just sort of casual in people's living rooms and things like that. Courtney Miller and I used to go out and hike into the Red Rocks and just play around. And I thought, this is something that I think I would enjoy and that I think I'd be good at. So I found a teacher training that was happening here in the Flathead through Yoga Hive. And actually, at that point, um, the Yoga Hive Studios didn't have a teacher trainer on staff yet. So they brought in Raven Clemente from Figure Yoga over in Colorado. And Raven taught the 200-hour. It was a vinyasa style, which was okay. It wasn't actually what I had been specifically looking for. It was convenient and it was the right time in the right place. And um, I did my training with about five other fabulous humans who I still get together with about once a month. 
And we, um, from 2016 to now, usually try to get together and take a class or do a practice and then meet up and catch up. And it's been kind of wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I did my my 200-hour training back in 2016 and started teaching right away at Yoga Hive and managed actually three of the Yoga Hive studios here in the Valley. We had three locations at that time um, for about another year and a half or two years and then took a step back from all of it. And I um, decided to just teach my own classes outside of the studio space because I was feeling a little bit like studios were a place that only some people could find time to be at and could find the funding and the source of, you know, income to be able to come to. And I, I really wanted to step back from that and teach in non-traditional spaces and sort of share that practice with people outside of the studio bubble. And I've come back around. And so now I teach not only outdoor classes and classes in non-traditional spaces like breweries and wineries and places where people are maybe feeling a little more comfortable to try something uncomfortable than they would be to walk into a place that is full of crystals and incense and quite a lot of attached expectations. Um, But I've also come back to teaching at the studio space because I missed the level of connection and community that I could find here. So I've kind of struck my happy medium in the meantime, but it's been a couple of years of bouncing all over the place in the process. That was the very long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) It's wonderful. And it actually led to so many questions that I have. I think the one that is rising to the top is how do you, so I've also explored teaching in more non-traditional settings. And I'm just curious, did you have any of those folks transition from um, to to become a student in the studio space or a student in, in, in a more uh, traditional type space? Yes. So I would say over the years that I taught classes at um, the breweries and wineries around the Flathead, I've had a number of students who first practiced with me there who have then followed me to all of the other places that I've taught. Um, I've had some students, I taught a regular class for a number of years that was an outdoor class up at the RAF company where my husband is a manager. And that was mostly RAF guides that were coming to that class. So these were seasonal employees in this community who were really using their bodies on a daily basis for work. And they came to this class because it was $5 and it was on property where they lived. And for some of them, it was their first time ever doing yoga. And um, a number of those folks have been kind of loyal, regular students of mine for years since that initial class. And I would say a few of them have followed me over to Yoga Hive or to, um, there's a couple different studios around the Valley that I've taught over the years. And they have kind of developed a practice that has become fairly consistent, which has been really cool. And that's one of the things that I love, I think, the most about teaching is the relationships that you build with people outside of the physical practice. Um, I have so many folks in my community that I've gotten to know through yoga, um, including my current boss um, over at the high school library. When I met her, she was a student coming to my yoga classes, going through breast cancer. And she was at her weakest and lowest and most challenging moments. And sometimes she just came to the studio and laid on her mat and didn't do anything other than just be in that community, in that setting. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years and she was looking for a new assistant in the library at the high school here. 
and thought of me. And so now we get to work together in a totally different world because of that initial connection we made through yoga. So it's been a blessing. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I have more questions. (laughs) It's funny because I want to keep diving in. I'm like, oh, I have some more questions. Well, actually, I don't want to let this one go because I think it's important. But the one that I want to come back to, I'll just make a note of. So when you're in these non-traditional settings and, you know, I'm speaking just, I, you know, there can be listeners um, really from all over the world and, you know, some may be yoga teachers, some may be yoga students, some may have never practiced yoga before. So, you know, coming at this from all different perspectives, the one thing that I find is interesting when I'm going to non-traditional settings is what to include and what not to include to make it accessible. And I also feel this when I am attempting to be of service, uh, you know, through social media, like how do I reach people that may not um, you know, consider a yoga practice. Um, but then they, they're like, Oh, maybe I can see myself doing this, like how to make it accessible. And so I've been kind of conscious over the years to not post photos that are like the fancy yoga Mm. postures. Not that I never will. It's just where, you know, considering what my intention and I, I, I do attempt to do less of those if I, if I do them at all. And then I just think of bringing, I guess I'm curious, my one question that I have in my head is, did you ohm? Did you, did you close with Ah. Anjali Mudra? Did you begin, like, how did you begin and end? I guess that's the heart of my question. I guess I'm kind of just curious um, what that. Yeah, well, and I would say that that has evolved as I've evolved. Um, I am a cis white woman, so I have many mixed feelings when it comes to trying to embody a yoga teacher and share a yoga practice that feels appropriate without being appropriating. Um, and that feels authentic and, um, also continues to carry that sense of sacredness and tradition and honoring the roots of where this practice started. Um, and so many times in those types of classes, I would approach things with a pretty lighthearted, um, sort of tone, I would keep a good sense of humor throughout the class because I do really think that helps to take away some of the stiffness and the formalness and the anxiety. I tried to keep things on the gentler side in general when I teach. I am not the headstands and handstands kind of teacher. There is space for that out there. It's just not what I've ever offered. It's not what I find the most valuable in my own practice and my own body's needs. Um, and I do ohm still at the end of my class, not ohm rather, I do say um, namaste at the end of my classes. I don't tend to ohm because it doesn't feel authentic for me in my practice. But I, I do also still use Sanskrit and English names for poses because I like the idea of honoring the history and the heritage of where things come from at the same time as recognizing that what we're doing now is different than what was done then. Mm-hmm. So it's a fine line. Um, I definitely try to keep my music really neutral. Um, my background music over the years has really just turned into instrumentals with no chanting, no you know, nothing that's going to make people feel like they're too far outside of their sense of comfort to find where they fit into the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's such a it's such a tight line to walk between sterilizing something that has so much value and so much culture and richness and depth and history and 
taking that thing and taking it away from its context and still trying to use those elements. So for me, that has been a balancing act. And um, in every class I teach, I give lots of permission for people to make what works for them theirs and to leave what doesn't on the mat or at the door because every single one of us is at a different stage and phase in our bodies, in our minds, in our practice, in our experience of the world and how we connect with it. And so my my whole goal is not to try and impose anything on anyone, but to offer them a space to explore what they want. Mm-hmm. And so when I teach, it tends to be very, very hands off, literally and physically. Um, and it tends to be everything suggested or offered rather than told. Mm-hmm. That's so beautifully. And yeah, it's I, I've navigated this and I'm still, well, not navigated like it's in the past. I am very much still navigating this myself and finding my way. And yeah, I think it's a little different for each of us. You know, as I've talked to a few yoga teachers already on this, on my podcast, it's, yeah, we're all finding our way and it's a little bit different for each of us. Um, the next question that comes up for me is, so I heard you say, and I think this is so beautiful, the the community aspect um, and the the support of the folks that you went through your teacher training with, how you get together and go to a class. My next question is really, yeah, surrounding your own practice. Like what does your personal practice look like and how has that evolved over the years? Because yeah. we've talked primarily about your teaching practice thus far. Well, yeah, it's not um, entirely true, but it, it, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where we've landed. So I, I'm I'm curious more of what your your personal practice looks like today. Absolutely. So I do when I teach, I do physically model most poses, and I do go through the practice with my students. Um, I know some teachers have really stepped back from that, and their goal is, is to watch their students and to try and offer verbal or physical feedback. The way that I hold space for people um, when I'm teaching is that I tend to physically practice with them so that they can, one, see a visual on what it is that I'm trying to describe, and two, feel that sense of we're doing this together. I'm not standing there over you, watching you, telling you exactly how things need to go. There's no sense of judgment. Half the time, I am you know, in a posture where I can't even like directly look over at students. And I, I know that that rubs some teachers the wrong way. Uh, but for me, it is how I feel the most authentic as a teacher is to be like, we're sharing this experience. We're both just trying this together and seeing how it feels. And as a consequence of doing a lot of physical practice with my students, my own home practice tends to look far less structured. So on a daily basis, I would say that I roll a mat out. Um, most evenings that's after dinner and I'm just hanging out with my husband and whether we're listening to a podcast watching something or just kind of spending some quiet time together, I will usually um, have a couple blocks, a blanket and a little ball with some nubbies on it for my feet. And I will just kind of play around. And sometimes that doesn't last very long. And it's like 10 or 15 minutes of me just sort of rolling around, finding child's pose, taking a couple different, you know, stretches and positions. And other times it develops into like an hour of me really moving through all of the things and trying to get a well-rounded physical practice. And sometimes it's just me outside in the yard with my chickens, breathing consciously, listening to the birds, trying to disconnect from the constant verbal chaos of my mind, um, and to find that sense of presence that I feel when I'm intentionally practicing. So it's all over the place. Um, But I would say that I 
do maintain a relatively regular physical practice outside of my teaching. It just doesn't look like a regular physical practice. <laughs> well, it's, I'm so appreciating your um, just honesty about, <laughs> about all and just the space that you give yourself for the path that you found, Lee, like this is really beautiful. I mean, I, to be, um, well, in listening to you, I am the teacher that um, doesn't practice with the students because I want to see and be able to give them feedback. So it's fun to to hear you really just own and embody what makes sense and works for you and your students. So uh, yeah, I'm appreciating that. The yeah, I just don't think there's one right way to do it. I think the only right way is the way that feels right to you. And I have had teachers who have sat back and watched me and given me great feedback. Um, but I've also had a really good time experiencing practice alongside people and feeling the value in us sharing that collective breath and movement. And that was one of the hardest things I think in the pandemic was when everything was virtual. The thing I lacked wasn't so much the verbal feedback or you know guidance, but really just that sense of connection of breathing and moving in the room together. And so that was one of the things I was most excited to get back to post-pandemic. And um, I mean, I love both types. I found the way that you taught to be incredibly valuable when I was your student. And um, I think that when teachers are physically moving along with me, I'm just as happy with that. So I think it's really just the best way to teach is the way that makes the most sense to you, right? Right. And I agree with you. There isn't just one way. I feel that about yoga and meditation. And I say that all the time in class. And so my next question is around meditation. Uh, is that something that you practice uh, and, and enjoy? <laughs> yes. Um, I My personal practice includes meditation. I don't tend to teach or lead meditation specific classes anymore. I did at one point in the past and I love that, but I didn't feel like it was the best fit for me at that time. Um, but in my own personal practice, I try to carve out a couple of times a week where I'm either using a guided meditation, an app like Insight Timer or somebody's virtual offering. Um, I have also done a good bit of like the breath work practices. And I find that to be really meditative when I can focus on something outside of me. Um, and I'm going to totally blank on what it's called. It starts with a T, I think, when you're watching the candle flame flicker. With mm. my particular brain, that style of practice works really well. I am definitely a neurodivergent kid, very ADHD over here. And so I do best with uh, meditative practices where there's an outside influence or an outside guidance. So for me, a lot of times that's utilizing um, previously recorded or um, other people's guidance. And I would definitely not say that that's a daily practice, but it's a weekly practice. But on a daily basis, I spend at least five or 10 minutes just sitting outdoors, no matter what the weather is, in silence. Half the time it's with my chickens. Um, and that is like my brain break for me. And I try to listen to the birds, smell the smells, hear the sounds. And I know that that doesn't look like a formal meditative practice to some people, but that for me is probably the most powerful of the practices that I have, because it's the one time a day where I remind myself, Hey, it's okay to just let everything else go and just kind of sit with what you've got. It's bringing you to presence. And I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's what it's all about. The 
The, um, what I love about this Lee, and I really can't plan for this because I had no idea what your teaching or personal practice looked like. And what I love about this for the podcast is that the listeners are getting an opportunity to listen to different ways that people practice. Um, because I know just from, you know, my friend circle that, uh, folks have different ways of meditating and some prefer guided meditations and some don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for me, I love them. And like, especially many times my monkey mind goes the most nuts at night. And so for me having like a Nidra or some sort of guided meditation that helps me sleep is really valuable. So I, I personally ascribe to that and I love it. And I, I think there are so many ways to skin a cat as the terrible saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use the yoga Nidra on insight timer? Do you use it before bed or if you're feeling like your mind's going a little crazy, not crazy. That's not good. If your mind yeah. is too busy. <laughs> um, well, I frequently will do a need your practice in bed. So oftentimes um, my husband likes to unwind on the couch. And so he gets his quiet time. I go into the bedroom. I get myself all cozy and I give myself that quiet time in the bedroom, laying down and comfortable. I'll usually pull my pillow out so the back of my head can be flat and go through like a guided nidra and then um, follow that with getting myself all settled in for sleep. So it's usually like the last thing I do. Mm -hmm. mm, this is really fun for me to hear about your practice. Uh, my last question is, you know, I mean, I think that folks would have quite a few ideas um, or gateways, doors to walk through from listening to our talk today. Um, if there was one kind of nugget that you'd want to leave with a listener for someone who doesn't already have a yoga or meditation practice, um, you know, someone that you met on a bus or a plane was asking you about it, what would you tell them how to, how to get started? Oh, I love this. So my favorite thing when people ask like, Oh, you know, why do you do yoga? Or my favorite is like, Oh, I'm not flexible enough for yoga. Yeah. All those sorts of comments. I just always like to tell people yoga is the one place in my life that I found where I just get to explore who I am and how I'm feeling at any single snapshot in time. And so if the idea of beginning a practice and all that that tends to entail is so intimidating, I think step one is just to understand that at its core, my understanding at least, is that a yoga practice is just about getting to sit with ourselves and to see where we're at and to check in. And that's something that we as a culture have been not so great at and um, that we as a society are becoming aware of the importance of. So I'd say it doesn't have to look like anything. It doesn't have to be a certain way. It doesn't have to happen a certain time or a certain pace or there's no goal. The goal is simply just to see it, see how it goes for you to try it and to feel it and then to take that information and to do whatever you need to with it. When I have folks come in the door in my classes, I tell them, thanks for being here to play with me. Because honestly, I feel like it is the one chance that I give myself every single day to just be a little lighthearted and playful. It's nothing somber or heavy or, you know, crazy. It's just an opportunity to explore who you are and how you're feeling in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that is wonderful. We should all do more of that. <laughs> I, I feel like I carry that same energy about the play and I love that it, well, I think both play and practice bring a lightness to it. Um, mm -hmm. but at least they do for me. And that is what I attempt to share as well. It's just such a joy to, I mean, I so enjoy listening to 
yeah, that just the way that you enjoy teaching and practicing and, you know, like, wow, we do things different. And oh, wow, you know, that we had there the similarities and just the way, like getting at the same essence of the present yes. moment and feeling, yeah, what it's like to be in our bodies. And well, and it's funny because I think that my particular style of teaching is of course a little conglomerate of all of the people who I've practiced with. So there's a little bit of Courtney Miller in my practice. There's a little bit of Angela in my practice. And they're like, I've borrowed all of these elements from people who I loved the pieces and the the parts. And I've put them together to make the whole that is uniquely my practice. Um, And that's kind of the joy of it. I mean, I always, it always kind of makes me giggle when people think that like yoga is this static thing that is only this one way because the beauty of it is it, it is constantly changing because all of us are different, unique individuals. So I love when people teach differently than me. That's why I still like to take so many classes from so many different teachers. And that's also part of why, ironically, it's part of why I came back to teaching at a studio is because I really wanted to tap back into being a student. And I felt like teaching in only separate places outside of the studio system, it was a lot harder for me to motivate myself to get into classes. And I needed that. And so coming back to teach at a studio was in one part, I would say selfishly motivated because I needed to feel like a student again. And it has reinvigorated my practice to be back around other teachers. And I love them precisely because they don't teach like me. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love being a student, Lee. And I, I mean, obviously, always a student and to actually go practice in a physical space. It, it yeah. feels so different to me than, you know, just guiding myself on my mat at home or getting online. I did have a question about you said, I mean, I was like, wow, you were doing podcast yoga. Was that when you were like, out in the park service. So you were like away from town. And so you were getting on and listening to people teach and they were doing this via podcasts. Yes. Um, So (laughs) I need to think about what the name of it was. I should have looked it up before we, what was it called? There was, it's like an audio recording. um, And it was, and it's interesting because I am a very auditory person. And so I didn't mind the fact that they were purely podcasts. It was purely audio. So there wasn't a visual component. Mm -hmm. Um, I often practice, especially in my personal practice with my eyes closed. And so really clear verbal guidance is something that I value. And I was taking these, they were like 15 or 20 minute yoga download. Yoga download was the name of the um, website. And I would download them onto my phone or my iPad or whatever back in that time. And then I could literally go out into the national park and be way out of cell range. Um, Like I think the most remote place that we lived and worked, John and I were campground hosts at Mojave National Preserve at Hole in the Wall Campground in California, two hours from the closest gas station. Um, So no community whatsoever. Like we were living, living in a camper in the middle of nowhere. And I did a regular yoga practice with those yoga download videos or um, podcast episodes. And they were literally just like 20 minute verbal only guidance, but they worked. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. There's so many ways. And this is, this is why I started this podcast is, you know, I was like, I just feel like if people could hear about all the different creative ways that people practice these things, yeah, just for other people to hear how people are practicing um, and then bring it into their own practice. Like, oh, I could try that. Or, oh, that actually sounds really inspiring. I think I want to, yeah, explore that. Absolutely. I mean, like 
a couple things come to mind from that. Like number one, I I don't know if I made this up or if I've heard this somewhere else and forgotten the source, but one thought that constantly runs through my mind and like right now we're at the yearbook signing time of year where people are writing quotes in people's yearbooks um, over at the high school where I work. And I, I constantly tell the kids, if you stop learning, then you stop growing. And when you stop growing, that's when you start growing old. And so to me, like continuing to learn in my practice is continuing to expose myself to other people's ways of doing it and other ways of saying things and moving through things, both in the physical practice, but also in the, you know, intellectual, thoughtful elements of yoga, because there is so much of that philosophy and um, mental game involved in it, too. And so, you know, continuing to take teacher trainings and continuing ed things. And I'm going to be at the Front Range Yoga Festival over in Shoto um, next week, ah, uh, which is so exciting. And every time I get to go to these yoga festivals and teach, um, I'm just as excited to be there as a student. And I am equally as excited to take the non-asana types of classes, because those are the ones that really get me thinking about all of the outside elements, the non-physical elements of the yoga practice that I think people don't come to the practice in the first place for, but often find to be the most valuable. Yeah. So that's like the heart of the student, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you don't if you don't ever stop learning, then you will live forever, I hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> in some fashion, it'll just be recycled into the next. Yeah. There's this element of tension too. Like I think about going to like yoga festivals or workshops or sometimes a teacher, there's this one teacher that I've practiced with. He says things in such a different way that it gets this little mm -hmm. tension. And this last time though, that he was visiting and uh, I practiced with him, I opened up to it in a different way. Like I had, I had attempted to in the past and I thought I was, and I did give a good deal of thought to what he had said that caused the tension in me. Uh, but this yeah. last time it really kind of settled in, in a bigger way. And I think that that is such a beautiful part of growing too. Like, you know, we may not always like <laughs> what we're learning or hearing. Like there is like, you know, sometimes some tension is, is what kind of gets us through to the other side. Oh yeah. And like, I have learned just as much from the things that didn't resonate or didn't work in my body because you know, I mean, I'm teaching in a thin hypermobile body. And so the way that things work for me will not always work for every student because thank goodness, not everybody in the room looks the same or works the same. And so sometimes I will hear something a teacher says and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that didn't work for me. And I think there's just as much value in being exposed to those sorts of things or in having the way that you have always approached something be shaken by somebody kind of showing you an alternative, whether or not you work with it. So yeah. there's definitely value there too. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, we can take it and leave it and chew on it for a while and be like, no, or, oh, whoa, there is something there. Yeah. 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 I I actually do have another question. How many chickens yeah. do you have? <laughs> How many chickens? I have six chickens. I have Bertha and um, Opal and Pearl and Helena and Darby and Shelby. And they are the best. Um, sitting and watching them and getting to know like their little personalities, their favorite foods, the way that they kind of move and make noise is also the most amazing practice <laughs> just because 
they bring so much levity and light into my day. And I love they they like recycle all of the food scraps. They return them to me in the form of more beautiful food. Um, they are just hilarious and bring me so much joy. <laughs> Is do you have a favorite chicken? Oh, I would never say this in front of them, um, but Bertha is my home. I was going to guess that Bertha was your favorite. <laughs> she was the first one you, you said, I was like, yeah. oh, I was going to ask you if you had a favorite and what her name is. And <laughs> you shared the names and I was like, I bet Bertha's her favorite. Oh, it's to- Bertha is one of my OG girls. So when I first got into chicken keeping in 2020, as one did, um the the first nestlings that I hatched the first babies that I hatched Bertha was from that group and she is the last man standing from that crowd or last chicken woman who knows um and so she's definitely been with me the longest and she it's really funny because I'll throw like snacks into the coop for them and the rest of them will all fall on them like they haven't seen food in a hundred years but she'll sidle over to me and just kind of give me a little look first like hey how are you before she goes over to inhale all the good things so we we've got a little bond (laughs) yeah oh well we also did the chickens during the uh pandemic and that we don't have any survivors and i think that i will get back to um yeah having chickens in my life again it's just not not yet but uh but we will (laughs) yeah no they're a gift if you have the time for them but they are definitely work just like all of the good things in life The whole protection thing. We have, yeah, surprising number of animals in our um, in-town location. Bears wow. walking down the street. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, well, Lee, this was such a joy. And, you know, I yeah, I feel like my heart's really open uh, after talking with you this afternoon. And I'm just so appreciative that you took the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Likewise, Angela, I have to tell you my practice and my experience of hanging out at Yoga Hive, um, or I should say at Yoga Hive, my brain is at Yoga Hive, um, at Moab Yoga when I was there during those years, it was such a pivotal place for me. It was a time when I really did feel like I was developing that sense of community in yoga. And um, I mean, Saturday mornings, I was there pretty much every week while I was living there. And that that sense of community was huge. And so thank you for creating that space and for giving me that opportunity. And then for us getting to revisit and connect again here. This was really lovely. I had so much fun. Yay, (laughs) me too. Um, Can I share where people can find me? Absolutely. Yes. Perfect. Because I did in, I have fallen off of the wagon right now, but I plan to get back on because life is like that. It ebbs and flows. Um, But I did during the pandemic record some um, auditory practices, like basically a podcast called Lovely Moments. um, My yoga practice, my my business is called Lovely Yoga, play on the name and what my husband calls me. Um, And I have a few and it's basically just like that yoga download thing. Like I... I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I, um, for this though, just really wanted it to be like, here are some auditory practices. If you're missing practicing with me during this weird global pandemic time, um, you can hear my voice and do this with me. And so there's probably like half a dozen on there, Mm -hmm. but I would love to share that out into the universe since I know most folks who listen to your podcast are not going to make it to Northwest Montana in the near future. (laughs) I mean, but the thing is like, you may end up having listeners or people like are who knows like we don't know (laughs) 
Yeah, that's the coolest thing about our world right now. Yeah, like it's who knows who you're going to meet and who's going to connect with you through this. It's yeah, it'll be fun to get a nice giggle of synchronicity when that happens of whatever way that it happens. Yeah, Yeah. awesome. I'm excited now to listen to one of your audios. What a love, lovely moments. Lovely moments. Yeah, I'm on all the all the different platforms. And it's really funny because I probably if I went back and listened to them now, there would be things where I'd be like, "Ah, I want to change that. But I'm trying to leave it in posterity for the teacher I was at that moment, not the teacher I am now. And there are definitely things about my teaching practice that have evolved over time. But that's not to say that what I had created then isn't valuable and worth keeping. So, yeah, Lee, you are such a beautiful human. And I, (laughs) I mean, really, like that's, I mean, that's really the essence of this podcast. You and I are on the growth path, the evolution. We are choosing to continue to rise up (laughs) in a way that. So, yes, I, I. Yes, there will be things as we grow. And I, I would imagine what is up there is, is wonderful still. Well, and here's the thing. I was, I saw a little like clip of Ed Sheeran the other day, and he was talking about the fact that when he was, you know, learning how to make music, he was pretty crummy at it at first. And he leaves those videos live on YouTube so that people can recognize that you don't, you're not just born perfect, right? It's an evolution. The whole process of becoming who you are will constantly be changing your whole life. And that doesn't mean that the old versions should be erased or removed because they were part of the process. And Mm -hmm. so even though I may teach certain poses or say certain things differently than I did back then, I still want to keep that because that was part of my journey and there was value there. And um, I don't think that we should be so curated and so edited that we can't see the reality of growth and change because humans as a species need sometimes to see that we have changed and grown in order to recognize what's happened because, you know, that can be hard. It can be hard to see yourself from that 10,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. But when there is literal data out there in the world that you at one point created in your past and you allow it to stand it allows kids who are coming up in the world to see that it's okay to continually change and grow and evolve. That is in fact the goal. <laughs> yes. And that the fun in that, cause we don't, I mean, we're living it moment to moment, second to second. And so, yeah, even I just think of this past years, some of the changes that I've made and who I am now versus who I was a year ago. And I, I mean, I feel it. Yes. And then in other moments, I don't feel it at all because I've lived it. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and then you know our friends reflected back to us and like oh yeah yeah I am doing this differently yeah which is awesome isn't it (laughs) it is awesome yeah it's fun oh well thank you again Lee and I look forward to catching up again and you know hearing how this continues to evolve Absolutely. And if you ever find your way up here in Northwest Montana, up near Glacier, come visit. I have a little yurt in my backyard. When we first um, bought our property, we lived in a yurt for a year and a half, and now I Airbnb it out. And so um, if you ever come up, we do um, have yoga there with my guests and hang out with the chickens in the yard. And I'm 10 minutes from Glacier National Park. So maybe this summer, Montana is on my list. It's like, yeah, I've been wanting to go the last couple summers. So I'll reach out. (laughs) Awesome. That would be amazing. You are welcome anytime. Oh, thank you, Lee. (laughs) Well, 
Thank you again. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye. I so appreciate Lee coming onto the show today to share her experience of practicing and teaching yoga with us. So my takeaways today are that there are many different ways of teaching and practicing, and there is not a right or wrong way to do so. I love how she shared that she's in it together with her students um, by practicing with them. It's, it's not something I typically do, although I have. And it was just really, I love this uh, visual of her, this you know, she shared the sense of breathing and moving together, which I think is so beautiful. And then, of course, the chickens, you know, just using our everyday life. Like this is the true power for me in mindfulness and presence. And so hearing her talk about her chickens and her just how much joy they bring her just, you know, made me feel full in my heart. So thank you again for listening to this conversation with Lee Clausen and for listening to the Ritual of Practice podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Ritual of Practice podcast. You can find the show home at ritualofpractice.com. Follow us on your favorite listening platform to receive weekly inspiration for your practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you love. Until next time, keep practicing. Keep practicing.